Let's gather together. And as we do that, let's do something different. Let's sing. So you can sit. You can sit. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. In what you hear, let it be a sweet sound. Let it be a sweet, sweet, let it be, come on, let it be. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound, yeah. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear. Heavenly Father, this morning we just pray that indeed what we do would be a sweet sound in your ear. God, we are here today to glorify you. Not to glorify ourselves. And praise God, it's not to glorify ourselves. Because without you, we are nothing, Lord God. But with you, nothing is impossible. And God, we thank you today that you are here. That you are working in us, Lord God. You are moving us to a new level. We thank you that you don't let us stay the same. But God, you have a new level of glory for us to go to. And God, this morning we come with expectation. Preparing our hearts and saying, God, we are ready. Do what you want to do. Change us, Lord God. Let not one person leave here the same. But let us all be changed. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I'm going to get to that announcement in just a second. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series on Engage. And this morning, I get the incredible privilege of talking to you about Engage in Worship. And I got to tell you, if there was ever a sermon topic that I could get more excited about, I don't know if it exists. This is something I'm just, I'm just... I'm pumped about this, this topic, which is engaging in worship. And there's two scriptures I want to read as we begin. The first one is John chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, in John chapter 4, verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the next one is Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And it says this. In the New King James, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this morning I'm talking about engaging in worship. When I was a newlywed uh, to this beautiful woman that's sitting right here, Tanya, everything was exciting. I mean, everything was exciting. I mean, uh, every little detail was exciting. You have to understand, Tanya and I, before we got married, we had lived at home with our families. And so when we got married, everything was new. Like that first plate of spaghetti together was the best plate of spaghetti I'd ever had. Like brushing your teeth in the same sink. It's not cool anymore. But back then, it was amazing. 
I mean, it was just exciting. I mean, it was, it was off the charts exciting. And, and there would be this feeling that you'd get as you were just walking together that all of a sudden you'd get this euphoria, this thing that would just rise up in you, in me, and I would be like, oh, my goodness, and it would just, like, want to explode out of me. And Ty and I came up with kind of a code word to explain that feeling because we both would kind of express it like, oh, my goodness, this is so great. I just love you so much. Da, 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 da. And they're like, no, 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 no. There's just too many words there. So we came up with a word. And we'd be walking down the street, and suddenly Tanya would grab my hand, and she would squeeze it. And she'd look at me, and she would say, burst. And then I would walk down the street, and I'd look over at it, oh, my goodness. And I'd go, burst. Because we both knew what we were expressing to each other. We both knew that there was something inside of us. We didn't know how to express it. But it would come out in a word, which was burst. This morning, as I speak to you about the topic of worship, we have to, we, of course, we understand, we talked about this a couple weeks back, that worship is more than just a service. It's more than just singing a song. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what you did this morning when you got out of bed and you decided, you made a, a conscious decision to come to church to honor God. That is an act of worship. When you decided this morning to overcome maybe some sickness because you wanted to be here this morning in the presence of God, that is an act of worship. This morning, what I'm talking to you about actually is specifically about worship in the context of a corporate worship service, singing on a Sunday morning or singing at any time throughout the week. I want to talk to you about that, and here's what I would like to say about that. Singing as a service, singing in in a group, singing in a corporate setting like this is our opportunity to express that heart thing within us, just like I would with Tanya, where I would say, burst. The songs that we sing are our burst. Man, they're a gift from God of a way that we can express it. If you look at the scripture that I read earlier, it says this, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Can you imagine actually living that way? Like, just read that for a second. All your soul, right? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. I think we'd probably go crazy. You, you couldn't live that way, right? You just, it's just not possible. But the worship service, the singing of these songs together is our opportunity to express that unto the Lord. Worship is a response to who God is. Worship is an overflow. I love it this way. It says it's an overflow of the forgiven soul. Worship is to untap that which is within you. That says, I feel this thing about the Lord, and I'm getting this this feeling, and it's just coming up, and it's burst. It's singing the songs of heaven. It's joining with what they're doing, and it's declaring the greatness of our God. It's a way to express, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'm going to read the definition again from John Piper. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge 
by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. Worship is our burst. Worship is our chance to say, God, I love you. God, I respond to you. God, you are holy. God, you are worthy. Worship through music is a gift because it gives us an opportunity to express in a moment Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. That's the heart of what we're doing on a Sunday morning. That's the heart of what we do throughout the week. When we sing these songs, it gives us an opportunity to glorify his name. So here's how we're going to approach this today. Um, One day, man, we would love to do, I talked to Pastor Mike about this. It'd be so amazing to be able to do an entire series on this. So I'm going to fit, I'm just going to scare you for a moment, 10 pages of notes into about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Okay, you guys with me? So we got a lot of information to get through this morning. Uh, Each one of these topics could be a sermon in itself. But we're just going to kind of give you a high level. We're going to hop into the, into the helicopter and zoom out and then get onto that Google Earth and zoom out again and get a high level view of the topic of worship this morning, okay? So here we go. First of all, how do we actually practically do this? The sermon title, the sermon series is Engage. And Engage would uh, connote that you have to, uh, uh, something to do, that there's something you can actively participate in in order to engage in this. Remember we talked about going from an observer to an active participant, And so how do we actually engage in worship, and how do we understand what that is and why we do what we do? And so what I want to do is I want to give you nine forms of psalmic worship this morning, okay? Nine forms of psalmic worship, um, of, of, of actions, of things that we can do to respond to God in worship. With these nine forms of worship, we inform, okay, number one. We're going to start with the voice. There's three for the voice. God has given us a voice, and it is to be used to glorify him. So number one is we speak. Speak. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and then he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, and that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, how many of you know that your words have power? Come on, Pastor Mike talked about this this morning. It's so good. That is so good. I love how you just said amen. You know why? Because when you say amen, what you're saying is, so be it. What you're doing is you're speaking faith into your life. Your words have the power of life and death. And you have the opportunity to give glory to God throughout your week. This is something that you can practice on a day-to-day basis. When you are driving down the street and it's a beautiful day, you know what you ought to, you ought to say? God, thank you for this beautiful day. I glorify you and I honor you because you created this. Your words have that power. One of the ways I used to look at this is we hear a lot of people around us that are unbelievers that will take the name of the Lord in vain. And I made it my goal to make sure that every time I heard his name being taken in vain, that I would praise him twice as much. So uh, there was this girl that I used to work with at, at um, a, a restaurant that I used to work at. And she would make salads. 
And I'd come back there, and she would say Jesus, but it in a very derogatory way. I'm not going to say it that way. And under my breath, I would say, is Lord. God, you are Lord. You are Lord. And then, and then I just got more bold. And so she'd be like, Jesus. And I'd go, is Lord. And she'd go, I don't care. And I said, well, you need to. And I just kept walking. And it became our thing. Like she would say it, and I would just say, is Lord. You know, and I just declared over her. We need to let our praise outweigh the curses around us. Amen? Let your voice be heard. Raise it up. God has given us a voice, and we can speak about who God is. God, you are wonderful. You are awesome. You are mighty. There is no one like you. You are my righteousness and my hope and my salvation. We speak the word of God over our lives. Okay, let's move on. Number two, we sing. Psalm 47, verse 6 says, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. First Chronicles 16, 23, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Psalm 13, 6, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Isaiah 42, 10, Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise from the ends of the earth. You coastlands in White Rock and you inhabitants of them, sing to the Lord. We sing to the Lord. We sing to him. Come on, we glorify him with song. If you need a reason to sing, just remember what he's done for you. Lord, I worship you because you have set me free. Because you have rescued me, I will sing. I will sing. Come on, we sing to the Lord. We sing to the Lord. Number three is shout. Psalm 27, verse 6. Then I will hold my head up high above my enemies who surrounded me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing in praise to the Lord in music. Ezra 3, verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. And when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They gave a great shout in celebration. Psalm 33, verse 3, sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalm 95, verse 1, oh come, let us sing to the Lord, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, the rock of our salvation. Now why do we shout? Shouting, shouting gives the impression of victory. Shouting is a celebration. Shouting is a thing that we do that expresses that the conquer has happened. That he has come. There's a, um, you'd always see this in these old movies. Um, there's a movie called Braveheart. I wouldn't recommend it from the pulpit. But in this movie, these men would stand in a line on one side of the field. And then the enemy would stand on the other side of the field. And Braveheart would stand up in front of his men and say, Men of Scotland, we're going to go fight for our freedom. Are you ready? And he'd get them wound up. And he'd say, okay, it's time to go. And they would all rise up. Now for freedom! And all the men, ah! And that shout would start the battle. And what did the shout do? It demoralized the enemy. It said, we've already got this. You guys think you're tough, but we've already got this. Come on, when we shout to God, we demoralize the enemy. A shout communicates victory. And so we shout to God with a voice of triumph. 
Come on. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Right? And we lift up his name and we glorify him and we say, Jesus, because he has the victory. Come on, there's power in a shout. There is power in a shout. Okay, we're doing great, guys. So sing. Uh, Speak. Sing. Shout. That's the voice. Now we're going to move on. Next thing is the hands. There's three things with the hands. Okay, number one, we lift our hands. Psalm 63, verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live. Lift up my hands to you in prayer. Psalm 27, verse 6. Then I will hold my head up high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with joy, shouts of joy, singing and praise the Lord with his music. We lift our hands. We lift our hands. Often in the scriptures, when the Bible mentions lifting hands, it's in the context of prayer. We understand that lifting hands is a sign of surrender in our culture. It's uncomfortable. Let's just be honest. If you are coming from another church with a different denomination or you've never even been to church before and you walk into a room and you see a bunch of people lifting up their hands in reverence, that could be a little bit uncomfortable. But it's a sign of a sacrifice to the Lord. And when the Bible talks about lifting hands, like I said, a lot of times it's in the context of a prayer. It says, lift your hands and pray is what it often will say. And so that idea of lifting your hands is a connection with God. It's making the song go from just a song to a prayer from your heart. You are good. You are good. And your love endures. I don't feel it right now. I'm tired and worn out. I messed up this week. But you are good. And you are good. And your love endures. And I failed in my prayer closet this week. And I didn't do everything I wanted to do, but you are good. You are good, and your love endures. He's my hope. We lift our hands as a prayer to the Lord. Number five, we play instruments. This is biblical. Psalm, because some of you don't know it. No, it is is biblical. Psalm 33, verse 2. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the loop and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and the flutes. Praise Him with a loud cymbal. Oh, we don't. Okay, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Praise Him with a clashing cymbal. That's annoying. But the Bible says to do it. Drums, man, what's the deal with drums? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Listen, playing skillfully on an instrument is another expression of worship. Back in the 90s, there was this band called Delirious uh, from England. I remember them talking about prophesy on your instrument. And I always thought, well, that's kind of weird. Like when you prophesy, it's a word from God and you're declaring uh, the truth about who he is to the people around you. And so wh- how do you do that on your instrument? But what I've come to discover is that when you, when you don't have words to say, the spirit of God gives you utterance. Sometimes that's in the gifts of the spirit and speaking in tongues. But other times that can actually be on your instrument. And you run out of things to say and you can just start to prophesy on your instrument. 
know you are good. If you, if you want to hear that, if you want to hear an expression of that, um, just come to pre-service prayer in the back there and listen to Graham play the piano. He's just prophesying on that thing. He's just creating an atmosphere of peace, an atmosphere of the presence of God to come. He's not singing. He's just playing it on his, on his keys. Declaring it. He's declaring who God is. When you're playing the guitar, it's not just playing the guitar. I'm, I'm using another instrument, another voice to give glory to God. When I'm playing the bass, it's not just playing the bass. It's giving another voice to glorify God. And when we do that in unity, oh, we're going to get to unity. There's power there. There's power there. Amen. You're doing great. <laughs> we prophesy in our instruments. Number six, clap with our hands. Psalm 47, verse 1, to the chief musicians, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Come on. In our culture, we applaud a great performance. In our culture, we clap along with music. Clapping speaks of unified appreciation or celebration. It's another way that we can synchronize ourselves together in glorifying God. We can join together in unity and be one voice to him. We clap. It's not just something that somebody came up with. So that'd be fun to do. It's actually in the Bible. Did you know that? It's actually in the Bible. So we clap for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's just do that right now. Come on. Okay. Next one is posture. Oh, you guys, the posture that we have can help engage you in worship. Changing your posture allows you to engage in worship. It allows you to engage in prayer. It allows you to engage in the spiritual disciplines. Um, this is so powerful, so powerful. Um, the first posture is, is to stand. Psalm 134 verse uh, 1 says, um, Behold, bless the Lord, all you his servants of the Lord, who, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Psalm 24, 3, who may stand, who may ascend to his holy hill, or who may stand in his holy place. Psalm 33, verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. When we stand together, it speaks of honor. We stand, it's a powerful way. Just, yeah, a brief story about that. When I, when I was, one of the ways I learned about worship was when I was a teenager, I was about 19, I was at Bible college in Seattle in an internship program, and there was these really cool second-year students, and I didn't know anybody, and they said, Matt, how would you like to get up and come pray with us? And I was like, that sounds like the most boring thing in the world, but yes, I will. That's where I was, because I just want to be cool. And these guys came, and they would knock on my window at six o'clock in the morning. I hated getting up in the morning. And they would drag me out of bed. We would drive through our favorite uh, uh, espresso stand, and I would get my 16-ounce uh, Breve latte, which is with half and half, just so you know, because I was very skinny. That was my weight gain program. And I would get my Bre Breve Irish cream latte, and they would drag me down to the church, and we would open up the sanctuary, and we'd walk in, and there's this massive sanctuary that sat about 1,500 to 2,000 people. And you'd walk in. I'll never forget the sound of the sanctuary. It'd be this as you'd walk in because the air would be going inside. And it was all dark. And my buddy Brian would get up on this grand piano on stage. And my buddy Charlie would lie down under the piano. And then Brian would just start going on the piano. And he wasn't a great piano player, but he could worship. And he would just start crying out to the Lord. 
And when I first got there, what I would do, honestly, is I would go out into one of the comfy pews, and I would lie down with my Bible on my chest, and I would fall asleep. But then I kept doing it, and I realized, if I'm going to be here, I may as well seek God. And what I found is that lying down doesn't work at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I would stand up. And then I found a little patch in the back of the, of the sanctuary that became my little spot. And I began to walk. And I found that when I began to walk and change my posture, it would engage something in my spirit so that I could connect with the Lord. And I began to call out to him and I began to cry out to him. And there was amazing times of worship in the presence of God in that place. I just remember just weeping before the Lord, but he would just change your posture. It would engage you into worship. That's why we stand. It engages us in worship. Number, so that's number one is, is stand. Number two, number eight, pardon me. We're on number eight, right? Number eight is bow. Psalm 95, verse six. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Romans 14, 11, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to the Lord. This is an idea of humility, of reverence, of deference and submission and surrender. That's awesome. Humility, reverence, deference, submission, and surrender. We bow before the Lord. We bow before him. And number nine, we're doing good. Number nine, dance. Come on, dance. Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise his name with dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. Psalm 150, verse 4. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. This is in the Bible. This is in the Bible. Now, I grew up in a charismatic church in Chilliwack, British Columbia, called Glad Tidings at the time. And we had a special dance at Glad Tidings called the GT Shuffle. You may have seen this before. It would go something like this. We bring the sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. You know this one? We bring the sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. Then we go like this. And we and everybody in the church would do it together. Then it kind of evolved and changed into this hopping dance. And we would sing songs like, every day it's you I live for. And all the guys would be like. And we would just jump before the Lord, see how high we could get. And everybody would stand together and we'd all jump. It's like a big mosh pit. And it changed. But we dance before the Lord. It's okay to move before the Lord. You can do that in an unorganized way that looks silly, because I know I always look silly when I dance. Or you can also do it in a very organized way. You can express yourself through dance. So, I mean, we have a, a wonderful lady in our church, Vanessa, that has put together some incredible dance recitals. She's our, our, our daughter's um, ballet teacher, and she's done some amazing dance recitals that just glorify God. Just declare his name. Tell a story about who he is and about salvation. There's ways to dance that glorify him. Amen. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. We dance before the Lord. Nine forms of psalmic worship. Um, give credit to Ernest Gentile from Worship God for those. Um, but then moving on. Again, each one of these could be a sermon, but we're only going to go through it on a high level. And the next question is, okay, so now we know how. Now we know how to engage. The next question is why. And I just want to talk to you very briefly about three results of worship. Okay? And we're almost done. You guys are doing great. Three results of worship. 
Number one, in worship, we encounter the presence of God. I think I can just stop right there. In worship, we encounter the presence of God. Here's what I call these results of worship. It's like a byproduct of worship. That if you worship in spirit and in truth with all your heart as unto the Lord, you will encounter the presence of God. Second Chronicles 5 tells a story of Solomon dedicating the temple to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that his father David had wanted to build a temple for God, but, but God says, you can't because you're a man of blood, so I'm going to build you a house, but your son is going to build the temple. And as an act of fulfillment of that prophecy, Solomon did indeed build the temple. And he hired the best craftsmen. They created the most ornate and beautiful temple you could ever imagine using the top quality uh, 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 items of that day to put it together. And they built this gorgeous temple that just glorified God. And before they could even get to the dedication, they started to come in and they brought in the ark and they put it down in the Holy of Holies. And as they left, they gathered the musicians. And the Bible tells us it came to pass when the priest came out from the most holy place. For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites, who were singers, all of those of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. And indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were all as one to make a sound to be heard in praising and thanking God when they lifted up their voices with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. You are good, you are good, and your love endures that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Psalm 22 verse 3 says it this way, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. See, we believe that as we glorify God, he inhabits our praises. That he comes when we glorify him. And James, it says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And as we come forward, this, now this sounds extremely, maybe spooky and supernatural, but it's actually incredibly practical. Very, very practical. When we come together as a group and we sing these songs, they remind us of the reality of who God is. And if your heart is attuned to that, and you respond to that in your spirit, in your soul. You are reminded that God is really here with us right now. And it's just like this wave of glory that just goes from glory to glory to glory until you are connected in to the presence of God. It's very, very practical. It's very, very practical. The songs remind us of who God is and help bring us into alignment with the truth. I find it interesting that the cloud came before the dedication. See, God responds to expectation. When you come in on a Sunday morning, what is your attitude? What is your heart? I'm going to go to a nice service this morning. Then I'm going to go to White Spot. And then I'm going to go home and watch some football. That's my day. 
Maybe that is your day. That's okay. But here's what I would challenge you. When you come in on a Sunday morning and we start to sing these songs, let that engage your mind and your spirit. Let those songs remind you of who he is. And then I would, I would um, challenge you to live out Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. As we respond to him for what he has done. Come on, that's a powerful thing. That's where the presence of God is. Amen? Number two, worship is our warfare. Oh, I just totally blocked out all my numbers here. I'm just going to open this up. Second Chronicles 20. Sorry. This is what it looks like. See the yellow? That's what I'm supposed to read. Good luck. Um, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1. Worship is our warfare. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Anybody got it? I got it. Okay. Here's the story. So Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, is facing dire situation. There are three nations that have gathered against Judah, and they're going to destroy them. It's the Ammonites. Who is it again? The Moabites and uh, the people of Mount Seir have gathered together to destroy Israel and defeat it. And Jehoshaphat alone is standing on the other side. And, um, and they've gathered together, and, and so what do they do? Well, they pray, is what they do. They get together and they pray, and they begin to ask God. They say, God, could you please come? Can you please do something? And somebody gets a word from the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And the word of the Lord comes in, uh, in 2 Chronicles 20, and starting in verse 17, and it says this, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And this is what it says in verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and those who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing... And to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When did the breakthrough come? The breakthrough came before. The breakthrough came as they began to praise. Now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord and set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, they were defeated. They praised, and then the breakthrough came. They worshipped, and then the breakthrough came. The enemy was defeated when they began to praise. Come on, sometimes you need to praise because he is worthy. Sometimes you need to praise because he is king. Sometimes you need to praise just because of who he is. It's got nothing to do with me because praise comes before the breakthrough. You are good. You are good. 
and your love endures. You are good, you are good, and your love endures. You are good, you are good, and your love endures today. I'll praise you before my breakthrough. Amen. He's already done it. The shout declares the victory. The praise declares the victory. Come on, we need to praise the Lord because the breakthrough is coming. Okay, last one. We did really great. Last one. Again. Oh, I got to read these scriptures to you. It's so good. Psalm 138, verse 1. Psalm of David, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I love that picture, that image. You just picture David walking into a pagan temple and standing up before the god Baal and saying, My God is greater. In your face, devil. Come on. We're going to pray. Produces unity. The Song of Ascent of David, Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Behold, and how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edges of his garment. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. There is power in unity. John seventeen eleven. Now I am no longer in the world, but these that are of the world, I have come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we also are one. Corporate worship produces unity. Now again, I want to be very practical about this. We're talking about engage, which would require us to be engaged. And so what does this look like on a very practical level? I found some interesting articles about this. And on the micro level, okay, if we were to just zoom right in, how does this unify us? There was an article on NPR of a researcher that was looking into the effects of music on a choir. And what he did is he attached um, a heart monitor to everybody in the choir to see what would happen as they began to sing. And I'll read it to you. He says, but what really struck him was that it took almost no time at all for all the singers' heart rates to become synchronized. The readout from the pulse monitor started as jumbles of jagged lines, but quickly became a series of uniform peaks. The heart rate falls into a shared rhythm guided by the song's tempo. Isn't that cool? As we sing together, our heart rates are sinking up. We're becoming one. There's something, I think, really spiritual and really powerful that happens in that. I think people that are even in the world recognize that. I'd have this buddy that was just, he was not a believer at all, but he just loved going to concerts. And he says, I just love it when we begin to sing together. There's just something so awesome about that. And I think what he was expressing is this, this sense of unity. That everybody comes together as one. Do you know what the Bible says about that? For there the Lord commanded the blessing. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's where the blessing is. Is in unity. Now, not only does it happen on the micro level. 
But you guys, it also happens on the zoomed-out Google Earth macro level. With the advent of the Internet and information being dispensed to all the regions of the world, the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning are no longer just sung here in this church, but they are sung in every nation and every tongue. This morning, as we gather together, there are people all over the world who are singing these songs of worship and praise to God. And we are actually connected in as the body of Christ to all these different groups all around the world. We get to join in heavenly song here and in Vancouver and in Portland and in Los Angeles and all the way down the coast as people glorify his name. There is an incredible unity that takes place as we sing these songs of praise to our God. I just want to show you a brief video of that, and then we're going to close. I just feel like the call on my life and on our church's life is to take the message, the most wonderful, powerful message there is, to the world, to as many people as we can, by any means that we can. People are drawn by worship and by music. It's just amazing how far it all reaches.
So cool, right? So this morning, I want to challenge you, Life Church, let's engage in worship. Let's glorify God together. What you're doing here is prophetic. It's declaring the truth of who God is to the world around us. And we unite as we glorify his name. Burst. Let's sing. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you Before we are dismissed here, we're going to uh, partake in our communion time together. And we're going to do it fairly briefly, but also intentionally. So if we can just get ready right away to do that. And uh, just thank you for all those who are getting ready to serve right now. But it's through the cross, it's about the cross, that we have unity. You and I come from different backgrounds, some from all around the world, different places. And our our unity isn't based on anything but the blood of Jesus Christ, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. And, of course, that includes the truth of the powerful resurrection, how that Jesus triumphed over the cross, triumphed over the grave, and he rose again triumphantly. So when we come together like this, it's a time of solemnity, but it's also a time of joy. It's, it's a time of rejoicing because Jesus isn't sad about the cross because he rose from the dead. But we do remember the cross because it's through the blood of Christ that we have forgiveness of sin. Now, I am so glad that you're here today, and if you are... Uh, if you are new to us, we don't want anyone to feel left out here. But I'd like to just talk to you real quick about what communion represents. It represents the body of Christ that was uh, actually nailed to the cross and the blood of Christ that was spilt for our sin to pay the price for us to be forgiven. Now, if you're here today and, and you know, if you want to be part of this and take communion, we welcome you to do that, even if you're not part of this church. But what's important is is that your heart 
is open to receive all that Christ has done for you. That's what this represents. It's, it's a remembrance and an honoring of Christ's uh, work on the cross. Now, if you're here and maybe you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you feel unconnected to Jesus, but you'd like to. Well, Jesus loves you. This memorial, this remembrance is all about Jesus and his work for you, life. And if you'd like to embrace what Jesus has done, even if it's for the very first time, you can do that right now, just as we are taking communion together. This could be you saying, Jesus, I'm turning away from all of my, all of my ways, all of my sins, and I'm turning to you. That's what repent means, turning towards Christ, away from our own ways and our old ways. Jesus, come into my life. When we take communion, these symbols don't magically or spiritually or supernaturally turn into Jesus, but it's a symbol. It's a way of saying, I'm receiving everything that God has for me. And you can do that even if it's for the very first time. Now, if you happen to be here and that's not your heart, please don't take communion. Just pass. No one's going to think anything less of you. Please don't be embarrassed. I can't tell you how to feel, but it's it's so important for us to, to do this with sincerity. We don't take what Jesus did for us lightly. So when the communion emblems are passed, everybody just, whoever wants to, just take one of the emblems, uh, each one piece of the bread and one cup, and then uh, we can just wait until everybody's been served, and then we'll partake together. All right? Let's just have a quick prayer, and then we'll ask those who are serving to just go ahead and serve everyone, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and love for us, this awesome plan of salvation. Lord, would you be honored here in these last moments of our time together? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So, as I said, just take one of each of the emblems and then uh, hold it until everybody's been served.